Right. I mean, if me and you made a rap song, it would probably be about how little bling we had. So that would be, uh, yeah. And I think that would have some traction because everybody's sick of hearing about your bling. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Yeah, buddy. Happy Thursday morning. It's the Tropical MBA podcast. This one's at tropicalmba.com slash popular. Speaking of popular, I bet you were popular in high school, boss, man. I can tell. I can tell by the way you wear your hats. By the way I wear my hats, you know, speaking of yeah, buddy, you know, something has, something has come about in the world of lifting weights. And do you know who Ronnie Coleman is? The guy who goes, yeah, buddy. Exactly. I want to say, uh, and, and by the way, uh, we played some Action Bronson last week, one of my new favorite rappers. He's got a song uh, called Ronnie Coleman. But I just want to say this. I believe, well, I don't know. Ronnie Coleman's a little bit older than us, but I, I want to say that I was saying, yeah, buddy, before Ronnie Coleman. What do you think about that? I, I don't know. I mean, my it sounds like something my uncle would say back when he had a mustache and a Camaro. Uh, yeah. I don't know, though. I'll tell you this. So all this Camaro mustache references are direct from my life. They're, they're not, these are things That's real. that I aspired towards. By the way, speaking of aspirational, I just read uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's biography, and there's a big portion of it about about the working on those guns, buddy. Oh, yeah. You know I'm talking about. I know what you're talking so, about. So which way to the weight room? Hey, quick announcement, boss man. We are looking for someone to work with us on a week-to-week basis editing and producing this show, maybe even a little bit of writing and research. But primarily, we want somebody that's going to be on call the last 24 hours before this show goes live. Because you know, boss man, we always do this show at the very last minute. There is some virtue to being a procrastinator because it makes you efficient, right? You have to perform. If you look at the way The Daily Show comes out, you know, the writers come in in the morning and by the evening they have to have the bits written because that's the show. South Park as well. I think it's produced, written, and everything within seven days. Yeah, we want to keep this dream alive. We like I like talking about what's happening this week. I actually like the idea that if you're a regular listener of the show, you know that it's hot off the presses. You know, there's something of sort of the immediacy of it. You're hearing the news from this week. We want to keep that alive. So if you want to help us produce this show, you know something about audio and you're willing to work with us, it's Dan at tropicalmba.com. That's that. By the way, Ian's email address is ian at tropicalmba.com, and there's an open call for photos of your entrepreneur mobiles. Send it to Ian. He's working on a blog post. True? Yeah, somebody. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Somebody in the comments last week said uh, you guys should uh, start collecting photos of entrepreneur mobiles, and I thought, yes, we should definitely do that. That is an excellent idea. I know I've seen a couple. I've seen Andrew Udarian's. Obviously, we've had a couple, Dan, but we are searching for the next entrepreneur mobile so we can feature that on the blog well speaking of entrepreneur mobiles yet another episode inspired by your acura integra this week ian and we got to get rolling because i'm getting on my style of entrepreneur mobile an a380 tonight in just a few hours so why don't we uh, hit the base walk and get started on this week's episode where we're going to talk about doing the unpopular 
thing and in the eternal struggle between industrial designers and manufacturers. In other words, known as the cool kids and the kids who make money. <laughs> hey, Dan, this is Patrick calling. Um, hope I didn't leave two voicemails here, but wanted to ask your help on how to bridge the gap between industrial design and manufacturing. Um, we're launching a consumer product and uh, it seems like the industrial designer lives in a world of creativity and cool products, and then the manufacturer always says, you can't do it this way, and you can't do that. And as we thought we had the final prototype nailed down, uh, everybody wants to tweak it and change this and change that, and some manufacturers say, no, you can't do it this way, you need to overhaul the design. So at what point do you just say, nope, this is it, we're going to ship it, we're going to launch the product, or do you, do you take that feedback and keep tweaking it to maybe try to avoid some, some setbacks or costs down the road with manufacturing? Or is that just the nature of engineers? Everybody wants to alter it and tweak this and tweak that. Um, so I love your feedback on how to bridge that gap and get the product to market. Thanks, guys. Love the show. All right, Patrick. So good to hear from you. And so good to hear so many of our listeners are working on industrial design and engineering and manufacturing yeah, products. Buddy. I mean, that's really exciting. Keeping the dream alive. Yeah, that's what we do. So, okay, here is what you got going on as far as we can tell, Patrick. You are having the struggle, which happens often between the engineering department, the industrial design department, and then the entrepreneur. And so what I have to say is this, is Patrick, I think you as an entrepreneur you probably understand best what you're trying to achieve. And if you're in my shoes, what you're trying to achieve is sales and customers. And these crazy industrial designers and these crazy engineers want to tweak this thing to the nth degree because that's what they're interested in. They're interested in the way that this thing fits together perfectly, the efficiencies in the manufacturing. But you know what, Patrick, as an entrepreneur, you can only be worried about that stuff to a certain degree. And I think once it's good enough, that's good enough. So let me tell you a little bit of a story here. Or rather, let me tell you a story. I, Dan, I think I've told this story about the wheels falling off the podium before. So oh, I'll yeah. tell a new one. Spare me. Spare yeah. me. That's just, I keep, it gives me palpitations at night. Still keeps me up at night. We thought we were going to go out of business. We thought man. we were going to go out of business. I mean, <laughs> so here's a new one for you. On our standard bar over at the Portable Bar Company, the first generation of that is uh, the way that it assembles is kind of janky. So our professional bar folds up. And for many different reasons, we couldn't make the standard bar fold up in the same way when we did our first production run. So it kind of assembles and there's like a bunch of parts and stuff like that. Anyways, it's not ideal. But the bottom line is we went to market with it anyways. We got a bunch of feedback. A lot of people, of course, said, hey, I don't really like the way that this thing assembles. And we said, of course you don't. We don't really like it either. Just wait until the second generation. We'll have it figured out. So... Once we uh, bought ourselves a little bit of time, got ourselves a little bit of cash, we were able to fund the second production run, and lo and behold, now it folds the way it should. But we couldn't afford to do that initially. We had to pump out that product. So that is my advice to you, Patrick, is figure out your minimum viable product and figure out a way to get it to market as fast as possible. And then, you know... As time goes on, as you get money, let these industrial designers do their little tweaks. Yeah, I know. It's so easy to imagine that any problem is or any, you know, shake in the, in the device is going to be just a deal breaker, you know, and to think that our first product quite literally had the wheels falling off. 
And you look back and you say, well, it's the same thing, you know, when my 83 Datsun and the wheels fell off of that thing, too. I don't know if you recall. And I, I still look oh, yeah. back and say, hey, that was an okay product. <laughs> it got my money's worth out of that. So That was, a, that was an entrepreneur-mobile. And, uh, that was an entrepreneur-mobile, buddy. Patrick, I've, I've been in both uh, situations, obviously, because uh, I'm an entrepreneur and I'm, I'm an industrial designer. So when I had my day job as an industrial designer... All I wanted to do was tweak because then it made he me look good, man. Intolerable. Intolerable. I never wanted to go to production. <laughs> Send me another prototype. Yeah, it was true, actually. You were very much like that. And that's understandable. But this brings up even a broader point, Ian, which is, you know, as an entrepreneur, what you're going to have is people that are advising you based on a problem set that's theirs alone. Right. So the factory guy might be thinking about, you know, how he's going to send his kids to college. And then he's also thinking about, well, this machine gets messed up when we do it that way. And who knows? And it's easy to lean on these people. And there's like a little bit of permission seeking. It's like, well, the expert in manufacturing is telling me that I need to do X with my product. And a lot of times as the entrepreneur, you have two things like First is a little bit of hubris and a little bit of, you know, this radical idea that you're actually going to make the calls on something that you don't know the most about. And the reason for that is that you do know the most about the the actual grand scope of what needs to happen, which maybe it's like you need to start a business, right? And it doesn't matter what the manufacturing guy thinks because you don't have a business unless the product is on a shelf. And it's this kind of thing where people will invent problems that are outside of the scope of what you're trying to do with your life. This is in every arena in life. And it's going to be your designers and your manufacturers and your consultants and your employees. Like People are going to manufacture problems. And I think when you look at people who can really create results, they're very clear about the problem set that they're trying to address. There's another thing now this. when Before you get, we talked about this with Valet Up last week, before you get your product into people's hands, you know, the biggest blind spot for you is, is not knowing the things that you don't know. And it's just that quadrant, you know, of knowledge isn't going to get solved by, by sitting around in a room with five people who are just manufacturing hypothetical problems. That's right. So with the, uh, with the standard bar, Dan, we knew that people wanted bars. We didn't necessarily know how they wanted them to assemble. I mean, we had a feeling that they weren't going to want to juggle around 50 parts. But hey, we knew that the most important thing was that they wanted a bar, right? And of course, yeah, then they told us. But uh, that they didn't like it in 50 parts. I love your point, Dan, about the manufacturer versus the entrepreneur. And, and that's to say the manufacturer is in the business of manufacturing. They get paid when they manufacture, not necessarily when you sell. Yes. And, and so actually, this is a great segue into something we wanted to talk about inspired by some healthy ribbing that you've been receiving this week about that beautiful Acura Integra that we posted at the blog. By the way, all the links, everything for this episode, tropicalmba.com slash popular. It's this idea, Ian, you can be sitting in a room full of people that they're all specialists. You know, you've got, say, your content person who's focused on creating the best content and the manufacturer and the employee who's focused on getting out of the office by 5 p.m. And then it's you that ultimately has to define the ultimate problem set. And that can sometimes be really unpopular because, you know, maybe for whatever reason. And so I think that that's part of being an entrepreneur. And so we want to talk about four forms of doing the unpopular thing this week. So number one, Ian, is don't build a prison of payments. This is really unpopular in the culture that we come from. And even you, friends that have been around you for, for years, they've seen the success that you've created 
They're giving you hell about the Acura Integra. I can I can hardly believe it. Can you believe that, man? So I got a I got a little <laughs> bit of a ribbing this week, and I just any excuse to talk about my new car, man. But <laughs> you know, I think people look at me a little bit weird. People that know me, people that know how successful our business is, they say, "Look, man, don't you like to ride in luxury? You know, don't you like a big navigation screen? Maybe some <laughs> maybe some heads up displays or something like that. Like you can afford it." So it's it's very unpopular thing, Dan. I think given where we're at with this business and where we're at financially. Ian, let's just step back for a second. What is what is? Have you seen the guys with the SUVs that are playing the videos in the back seat when there's no back seat? Yeah, passengers? I mean that's. What are they trying to say? Uh, are they trying to entertain you? If so, that's kind of a nice gesture on their part. Although I think it, I, I don't know. It, it's a little bit of an energy waste or something. No, no, that was uh, that was like very 1999. Now, now if you have televisions in the back of the back of your car like that, it's because you have children back there. So really, those vehicles have worked out ah. well for most people because uh, they were 19 and 99, and now they're you know of of childbearing age, and so it's perfect now. They they've still got the vehicle for it. You know, living in Asia, sometimes you can you can have like these anachronistic technology ideas. You know, we don't have that yet. We don't have like, you know, the rap the rap industry hasn't made it yet to Southeast Asia, so we don't have like navigators with six TV screens yet. So I don't know where where the status is on that. So I'm assuming it's like the new Chrysler minivan with the kid pacification device now. That's what where that's yeah. going. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The only the only rap in Asia is in the Pepsi commercials. But but the point here, Dan, is don't don't build a prison of payments around yourself. And I think it's very unpopular thing to do to to have a little bit of money, to have a little bit of success, and still live frugally. I I live like a college student, honestly, and uh, so do you. But the reason why we do that is because it affords us a lot of opportunities in the future opportunities to invest, opportunities to have cash, things like that. So again, very unpopular to have a little bit of money and not spend money these days. Go over to Europe, Dan. I think it's it's a little different over there. Nobody has payments. So what's popular here or what's unpopular here might be popular somewhere else. Right. I mean, if me and you made a rap song, it would probably be about how little bling we had. So that would be... Uh, exactly. Yeah. And I think that would have some traction because everybody's sick of hearing about your bling. Number two, live wherever it takes to be by your tribe. Why is this such an unpopular idea? You getting ribbing for this too? No, I give you ribbing though for this all the time, <laughs> especially when you're, in, when you're in the Philippines. Yeah, go on. Do go on. You know, it's, it's not one of my favorite places, but the reason why you spend time there is because you know, a lot of your tribe is there. So it's really important to be where your tribe is. And I think um, these days, you know, if all the internet marketers are hanging out in Davao, then, hey, you better be in Davao, even though it's not a very popular destination, because that's where the good conversations are happening. And sometimes it's shocking to me, too, because there was something that I recognized about that when I was there. But I did have your mindset, too, Ian, which is like, well, this is kind of a shockingly, you know, developing place and it's 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 dusty and dirty and crazy and everything and Vincent from selfsairway.com uh, just wrote an article saying, you know, about he was in college in Southern California and he moves to this, you know, uh, town in deep south of the Philippines and talks about the networking opportunities for doing that. And sometimes it's not about being in a place that's traditionally like, oh, let's go to San Francisco or New York or Hong Kong or something. Sometimes it's about finding those four to six to 10 people that you can really connect with and sort of move your lives forward with. Because really, like, 
you know, networking with 50 to 100 people is nice for a weekend seminar or party, but that's not what changes your life. It's those regular friendships and deep connections that can help you to sort of change things. And so whether it's Davao or in Ho Chi Minh City, where a lot of people are making those kinds of deep connections, Bangkok or San Diego, whatever it takes, I, I agree. And if it's going to be unpopular with your family and friends, that's for sure. Because generally, you know, Damien said on this podcast with the family and friends show, and I really loved it. It's how he talked about that. You do tend to get a little bit ruthless with your relationships when you want to change your life, because we look at the time going by and we say, that's our opportunity. That's our opportunity to make a change. Back in the day, the Integra was a very popular car. Now, in 2014, not <laughs> such a popular car. So you can see what I'm doing here, right? There's advantages to the to this path I'm taking. Speaking of which, the third point is preach less, practice more. Coming from two preachers. I think, you know, what is the idea here, Ian? I think that there's an important distinction between knowing how and knowing that. And it's it's kind of this thing like where people go out and they'll talk about, you know, dieting or they'll talk about entrepreneurship or what they did in their business, like should you click the green button or the orange button? You know, or should you use this conversion funnel versus that conversion funnel? And they'll write a big article about it. And these are facts. These are knowing that. But the deeper question, the knowing how is, are you a person who can turn leads into customers? Are you a person who can develop a product that satisfies your list or your customers? And that's very different from knowing that. Knowing that this experiment over here created a 25% opt-in rate. It's very easy. It's very cheap. It's very inexpensive to know facts. And they don't always translate into know-how. Let me give a quick example. Like, imagine, I mean, a lot of people uh, that are just getting started out, they'll read a bunch of articles like this, and then they'll start writing a bunch of articles like this. And then they'll feel, they'll, they'll operate as if they know how. And then they'll be confused about the whole thing. Imagine the same thing with, say, riding bikes. If I wrote a bunch of articles about you know, make sure you put 50% of your weight on one side of the bike and 50% on the other side of it and make sure you pedal with this amount of rotation and make sure that you don't go on a busy street or whatever and make sure that you watch out for the accurate integrity and all this. It's like, do you really think you read and write enough of that stuff that you're going to be able to know how to ride a bike? And I mean, this is esoteric, but it's true. It's different. There's a difference between knowing that and knowing how. And I think even, you know, we're saying preach less, practice more, maybe even listen to the preachers a little bit less. I mean, turn off our podcast every once in a while. I'm not saying every week, every once in a while. Turn off our podcast (laughs) and uh, actually put what you've learned from wherever you learn it into practice and spend that time practicing. Hey, I I think this podcast is a unique gathering of practitioners. A lot of the people that are, you know, we're working on the DCBKK event, Ian, this week, and I'm, I'm looking at the people who are coming through the doors, and I'm so, to be honest, proud, proud that people that are real practitioners that have done real uh, incredible things, these are people that know how. These are people that are coming to the event. Those are the types of people that we're targeting, you know. I mean, just a really great feeling for me, the kinds of people that I want to be around. But, I, hey, look, knowing how is more expensive, it's more difficult and it's more valuable. So jump on the bike, you know, start the business, actually run people through a conversion funnel. Because you're just going to see like, you can always tell the difference between the nuance between the people who've been there and can actually create the results versus the people that know a bunch of facts about a bunch of things that have happened in the past. 
let me give you an example straight from my life, Dan. I got the cops called on me this week. <laughs> True story. Got the cops called on me. It's been a while since that's happened, but here's the thing. I was watching YouTube videos all week long about how I was going to paint part of my car, you know, my mm-hmm. Acura Integra. Yeah. Yeah, ended up getting the cops called on me because now I live in the suburbs and I don't know. Maybe that stuff is <laughs> not really kosher to paint your car in the suburbs. Anyways, the deal is though, I mean, once I got out there with the gun and like I started painting and everything, like that's that's in practice, right? Like I could only watch a certain amount of YouTube videos and then I had to go out in there and actually do it. Buddy, I'll tell you what. If you listen to this show, you should have your Manila-based virtual assistant paint the top of your Acura. I mean, this is uh, <laughs> this is not something that you should be doing yourself as an entrepreneur. You're a busy guy. You should be saving that time and putting it into your assets. What say you? You, you know the other thing that I heard this week? I, I got a real ribbon for this. It was like, yeah, you've got a real talent, Ian, for finding uh, $2,200 cars. Isn't it a shame that you haven't you know, applied the same skills to find like real estate investments? Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. How about how about a decent couple of businesses for us to buy at, at yeah. depre- fully depreciated rates? And uh, you know, I'd much prefer us to put a new paint job on an online business than on your yeah. '98 Acura Integra. Buddy. Classic. Uh, Classic. What do they say? You could take the redneck out of the town, but you can't. But the redneck now lives in the suburbs and is pissing off all his neighbors by painting yeah. his car. Finally, and I think you've demonstrated this this episode. Tell others your secrets. Tell others your secrets, and in particular, you know, posturing. Posturing's on the way out, Ian. I think the internet's killing posturing. Uh, you know, when I was growing up, nobody in my family would talk about how much money they made because they identified with it. It's like the money that your business gen- or that your job gave you is somehow an indication of your personal worth as a human being. And it was embarrassing, and it still is embarrassing for my family members to talk about these things. And I know people look at us often when we are very open about our money, and they think it might be cheesy, or they think it might be arrogant. But I, sh- I, I can tell you this, it's useful, and we don't identify with it. We separate it from ourselves, we separate it from our self-valuation, and we use it as a tool to understand how much value we're generating as a company, the kinds of things we can do with that, and most importantly, the kinds of feedback that we can get from others. So oftentimes when I meet somebody new that maybe not be an entrepreneur and I'm kicking around numbers, I'll give a disclaimer. Like, hey, I grew up in an environment where no one would say anything about money, and I'm the polar opposite of that. So you know, sorry if, if that's distasteful to you or whatever, but that's how me and my boy Ian roll, and that's how Dynamite Circlers roll, and I love it. It's like a, a, a breath of fresh air. And I, I like that, I, you know, when you sit around with DCers, it's like, hey, how much money did your business make last month? $6,500. How much money did you take in personal salary? $3,000. How much money did you travel on? How much money did you pay your VA? All right, now we can talk. And I'm not judging that person. I'm just getting the tools to understand how I can help them. Yeah. I think the secret thing, you know, money might come to to mind first, but it, you know, for me, it's like really just having like a level of congruency in my life, Dan. You know, I think money is an important part of that and, or discussing money and you, yeah, our parents' generation, a lot of times they didn't talk about money. And when you don't talk about things like that, you don't open yourselves up to the opportunities or the possibilities, right? So it's like, uh, you never know when you find yourself in a room with somebody that knows a lot more about something that you are interested in. You know, money, for example, being one of the things. You know, so you say, "Hey, I make you know a hundred thousand dollars a year. 
you know, I've got $150,000 in the bank. And then you're sitting across from a guy that actually knows, you know, what you should do, what your next steps are, where, you know, our parents generation, they might not have disclosed that information because of pride, like you said. So I think there's a huge advantage to talking about things that are traditionally taboo or not popular to talk about. Here's another thing that might be counterintuitive for people that feel like they aren't great at generating a lot of sales or a lot of profits or whatever, is that ballers generally don't respond well to bullshit. So if you're just getting started out and you're being kind of opaque or this or that about exactly what's happening, you know, that generally when you find people that are hyper successful, they're super open and they've heard a million people like you talk before. So they're not that impressed that you're being vague about what's happening. In fact, it's quite the opposite. It's that vagueness that puts people off right away. Oh, yeah. I remember I was talking to a, a new DC just a few months ago, and I just love it when I just ask the. I often do this in conversation. I'll be like, "How much money do you make last month?" And when they just shoot back right away with a clear figure that, and they're not nervous about it, I'm like, "This guy's an entrepreneur." Right. Or this and it's girl's like, an entrepreneur. You know, depending on what the number is, like I'm learning from you, you're learning from me, we're learning from each other, whatever. Let's get this thing on, right? Absolutely. And and if it's fifteen hundred bucks, it's like great. Like, what can we do with that fifteen hundred bucks? Let's get it going. We've all been there. And that's the kind of conversation we want to have. Not the conversation where you're trying to preserve a sense of self identity that no one cares about except you. And you want to act cool or whatever, it's like, okay, well, you know, then conversation over. And this conversation is over, except Ian, let's talk, let's do some rap and reviews because we got a couple emails from listeners. I know you're just jonesing to hear a classic Nas track. <laughs> oh, well, you just, you just blew it out. Potentially, you know, top five rap album of all time. This is Nas from Illmatic, It Ain't Hard to Tell. Right. Excellent episode number 239, 10 Ways to Cut a Crappy Deal. Yeah, we just did that. From R. Wilmer in the United Kingdom. Anyone thinking of... Cut a crappy deal or do the episode, buddy? What did we just Either do? Either one. Both. Either one. <laughs> we know how on each end, for sure. <laughs> Anyone thinking of going into a partnership or JV should listen to this. It's all true, so true. Thanks, guys. R. Wilmer from the UK. Loving the UK reviews. Got an email from Craig Mathias, createmyindependence.com. Dan, been a long-term listener of the TMBA. My favorite episodes are 1,000 True Fans and a 21st Century Financial Script. Ian, a 21st Century Financial Script might be one of my favorite episodes of all time as well. In fact, like if I could do a little uh, time machine, if I could put an iPod in a time machine. Can you imagine getting an iPod back in 1995? Arriving to... A smaller, chubbier version of myself. I would want to listen to that episode because I think that that gets at the fundamentals of of beliefs that didn't really work out for me in my early twenties. I wish I would have understood about the wealth building and the entrepreneurial financial scripts much earlier in life. And it, it's all about the entrepreneur mobile. That's right. Craig basically said. I just wanted to know that I went back to the Thousand True Fans recently and it really connected with with me. He decided to make the 10 true clients philosophy a priority or the business model a priority. Within making that decision, 
he's scored two clients. So he's got eight more to go. He says, I'm beyond pumped up, and I'm beyond pumped up to hear that. That's absolutely fabulous. Taking the the that the fact the biz, the fact of the business model that he heard in the episode and using it as a catalyst to go out and get his own know-how. And uh, that's that's the idea. That's how you that's, do it. That's the end of rap and reviews. That's the end of this week's episode. This one's at tropicalmba.com slash popular. Thank you so much for listening to the show. We'll be back with you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And remember, if you'd like to help us produce this show, pop me an email, dan at tropicalmba.com. Got any party shots, boss man? Lightweight. <laughs> I have no idea what that means, but we'll keep that in. That's Ronnie Coleman, man. <laughs> Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.